Here we go with the Bible study. And before we jump into page number one, if you want to follow along, if you weren't here last week, we got up to uh, page five. I'm going to just skim through those first few pages real quickly. But um, this is my experience. And there were several of you, four of you, that came and said you had a very similar experience. I got saved a number of years ago. I got saved when I was 16. And um, right away, I was told certain things to do. And that was okay. That was good. I was told, okay, go to church, get baptized. That was good. That was, that was okay. You know, get my hair cut, stop doing this, stop doing that. And that was all good, and it was fine. But the one thing that I wasn't told with a lot of those tidbits as a young person wanting to grow in the Lord is I wasn't told why. I, I was told a lot of things, but it, I wasn't told why. And part of the reason is because in that church ministry at that time, which was a good church and a solid church, and I thank God for them, but they didn't have anything designed for teenagers when teenagers get born again to disciple them. They had Sunday school classes. They had the morning worship, the evening worship, Wednesday night. And, but there wasn't anything that was specifically designed to sit down and say, let's take you through a Bible study so you understand what the Bible says about being saved. Well, I had already done that. But my big issue became within weeks was, how do I know I am kept on being saved? And that created, and nobody ever did a Bible study with me. And so years ago when we came here, we thought, great area, wonderful area, there's a lot of people getting saved, but there's not a lot of Bible study as far as taking people and saying, okay, here, let's go through. And uh, we, years ago, that was the, one of the hallmarks of our ministry was when people get saved, let's take them through a Bible study. And as I said here a few weeks back, that we've, with the busyness and as the church has grown and others have come from other churches and saying, okay, well, what about this ministry, this ministry, to expand our ministry to minister to the body, we kind of got slack in the area of let's do some Bible studies. But for, as I reflected upon that, and several of you mentioned last week, you had the same experience. You got saved and you were, in a good way, you were thrown into a church mix. And you were learning from the pulpit ministry. You were learning, and one of the things you learned is, let's get busy, let's get serving. And you were serving. And some of you have been tremendous in that sense of officers in the church and all. But like I said, four of you came up and talked and said, nobody ever really grounded me in some of those basic doctrines. I picked it up from the pulpit, but it wasn't a systematic. It wasn't a way that I learned it in such a way that I could duplicate it. Several years ago, that church, that uh, material, that printed this material, what they did is the pastor of that church got burdened about this. And so what he did is he contacted a hundred and I thought the number was at least 164. The staff thinks it's a little bit more from the conference that they were at recently. But he contacted at least that many good, solid, Bible-believing churches throughout the Midwest and on the East Coast and asked them, do you have a systematic Bible study program, method, ministry, whatever you want to call it, so that if somebody gets born again, what do you do to take them through to ground them in basic doctrine? And what do you think he found? Not a single church had anything at all that was systematic, that was intentional. They had, you know, a five-week course or a six-week course, but quite frankly, let's be honest, in five weeks, do you get enough doctrine? You meet one hour a week. Do you get enough that was going to carry you through? 
And so what he did is he started developing and praying about the ministry, and that's where they developed this booklet from. And it's more complex, and it's more detailed, but the idea, and he took it to his church, and it's like, here's what we want to do is if somebody gets saved or a new convert, let's take them through this Bible study book, and they will spend up to a year in the material, answering not just the booklet, but answering those people's questions that is so critical and talking about the practical areas then he developed as we already charted uh, multiple different levels of material beyond salvation and talking about finance talking about family and so uh, that vision that he had is catching on to a number and hopefully we're catching that vision that we say let's do this let's be more intentional in helping to ground individuals and to disciple one another and as a result letting the body of Christ do more of that ministry so that's where we're at with that in mind Let's do the basic material. Let's start there where we're all at. And most of you can answer these things, fill in the blanks in your, in your sleep. But at the same time, let's just make sure you have a systematic way to share the gospel in your mind and in your thoughts. Because if you don't, if you don't have an understanding where you can say, I know what this verse, this verse, those basic few verses to share to help explain the gospel. If you don't have that and you're... you're unsure of where you would take somebody if they asked you those questions then what's going to be the default mode you're just not going to share the gospel you're going to be intimidated more and more because you're afraid if they might ask you a question or you're not able to say show that to me and so we want to make sure you're able to say here's where the word of God says and here's what it says and here's the answer so with that in mind let's just start at the very beginning on page number one you can follow I'm not following the book exactly until we get to about page 7 or 8 God has been and this is true subject to many books artistic projects so if I'm sharing the gospel here's where I'm starting there is a God okay and there are many differing views of God but I want to help them to understand that this God who we're talking about is different from many many of those different cultural gods and uh, even something so simple if I were talking with somebody and some of your notes talk about it using these verses we could start to say to an individual, hey, listen, you look around and you see, like it says, the heavens declare the glory of God, the firmament is handiwork, the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen. You look at that verse and you say, okay, what does that teach us about God? What does it tell us about God? Can people know there is a God without coming to church and having it explained? Yes. What tells them there is a God? Creation tells us. And so when we look and we say, honestly, why, how do you know from creation that there is a God? How would somebody say, well, how do you know that? How do you know it just didn't happen? What's that? Okay, because there is material there. Okay, now I'm explaining that to somebody. What else would you say to them? The what? Okay, the order of it. If there is a design, and there is a design, folk, Right? It's not chaotic. Is, is there chaos in the world? Yes, but it's not chaotic. There is, there is seasons. There are times. There is patterns. Okay, so I'm looking at and saying the complex design of the creation proves there is a what? There's a designer, okay? There's a designer. The complex design of creation proves what else? That this designer is intelligent. This designer is powerful. This designer is artistic. This designer is majestic. If you want to see artistic, just go up to the, go up to the Hershey, whatever you call that, that place where they have the butterflies. 
Okay, just go inside there and notice art, artistry, right? Okay, drive this weekend. Dr don't do it right now. But uh, drive up through the mountains. Will you see artistry in creation? Oh, it's just absolutely beautiful. And it speaks of his eternality. How do I know that? Because before there was things, there had to be a designer. The designer is ageless. The designer is eternal. So we look at it and it speaks of his ownership. If he created it, if he designed it, it belongs to him. Okay, something so simple. And it means that we're accountable to him. We talked about this last week, okay? Uh, we didn't talk about this, excuse me. We talked about that. Others. Here's another passage that is important that I would add to the notes. Romans chapter 2, verse 15. Which show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience also bearing them witness, and their thoughts, the meanwhile accusing or excusing somebody. Um, uh, in that thought... Not only does every man have a witness by looking at creation, everybody can see that there is a God, everybody has this item, a conscience, a conscience that indicates there is a moral being that sets it. And you say, now wait a minute, okay, what does my conscience reveal about God? And you have one. Everybody has a conscience. Can the conscience be seared? Oh, yeah. Yeah, but that's usually by education, uh, instruction, or by life experience. Everybody innately has a conscience. Okay? And there are some basic, basic moral codes that are in the conscience that everybody has. What are some basic that, in, that almost every single society, unless they've corrupted it, almost every single society recognizes a certain few things are wrong? Murder. Lying for them, yeah. Now, some cultures, they, they make it an honorable thing at times, but those who make it an honorable thing, they can lie to you, but they don't want you to lie to them. Okay, what else is another thing? Stealing, Stealing property rights. Okay, where does that come from? And so we understand that there's a moral being who has placed in every individual a certain morality that's in people. This morality has common threads. You just mentioned several of them. Though men can, ber can pervert and try to adjust the, the complexities of the moral code, there's a basic moral code in every society. It's evident in every si situation, in every community that it's there. Violation of that basic moral code. In, and men follow this through. Violation of the basic moral code. There's some type of consequence. Even on, a, even on this level. Okay? So if we're recognizing that there's a moral being this level that gives us moral conscience, if we violate his laws, then we're accountable this way too. And so the, it's just the idea that this judgment, and it's just, it's within everybody. However, these things don't reveal... They don't reveal God as, the, as much as God wanted to be revealed. So what God did through history is God spoke to people. He came to people. And he gave them more details about himself, his will, his plan. And so in early ages, how did God communicate to people before there was even a written revelation? How did God communicate to people? What's that? He walked with them. He appeared to them. Dreams. What else? V what? Visions. 
prophets. Okay, there was all these little, there was these, these additional means of God communicating, okay, and some ways that we don't even understand, we don't even know about. Um, and so God then had this codified, okay, a lot of this information, and he spoke in this revelation, which was given to different people, this more special and specific revelation, was eventually codified in First Peter chapter 1. Did I put that up? I did. Knowing this first, that no prophecy of scriptures, that is the divine writings, okay, is of any private interpretation. What's that mean? Okay, I'll, I'll tell you what the Catholics say this verse means. You can't understand and read the Bible for yourself. It's not, you're not allowed to have private interpretation. Is that what that verse means? What's it mean? No prophecy of scriptures is of private interpretation. What's he getting at? It didn't originate from some select individual. Okay? That was limited. For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man. Okay? The idea is that this book isn't coming from men that gathered in 323 and they had a council and they decided that this book was God's word. That is just... That is false interpretation of, of history. Okay? Prophecy came not in the old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. What does that tell you about the Bible? Okay, there you go. The Bible is not a product of people's efforts or literary abilities. Now, did God use people? Yes, but it didn't originate with people. It originated with God, and it's a byproduct of people's efforts as God directed them. The Bible is a result of God's working and deliverance. The Bible is God's very own words. The Bible, okay, proves us that God has a desire to communicate with us, to have fellowship with us. The Bible is for all men, not just a specific or select few of people. Clergy and clergy only can read the Bible, and they'll interpret it for you. What heresy? What falsehood? That means you can understand the Bible. That means that it came from God. It is God speaking to you his message of love and compassion and as well of sin and judgment. And so in that Bible, we have God's self-revelation, God's autobiography. And this is critical in a Bible study that you want to explain to somebody that the Bible tells us what God wants. We can see in creation there is a God, but it doesn't tell us exactly what he wants. We can see in a moral conscience that God wants us to live upright, but it doesn't give us all the details information that God said I want to have you know and so to get to know God and what he thinks and how he operates we have to go to the word of God and so we remember that in the word of God we start off and God tells the story of how he wants to work with people and how he met with them in the garden he walked with them and everything that he created it was good and God provided for them and God and everything was great and they had jobs to do and they were productive and they fellowshiped with him and they walked with him until all of a sudden yeah, the mankind was the problem. God wanted fellowship. God wanted them to be with them, to enjoy them and them him. And then Adam and Eve, bro, you know, they blew it all. They disobey what he has commanded, and as a result, he had warned them, if you disobey, there's going to be consequences. Well, they did. And immediately there was the introduction of sin into the human race. And Romans tells us by one man, okay, don't get all upset and say, okay, it should say by one woman. The scripture says, by one man, sin entered into the world. He chose openly. 
Okay, Adam was the one who was supposed to be leading in the situation. He was the first created. And so death, all of the consequence, and as a result, every single one of us is born with DNA from Adam and Eve and also a sin nature that comes from Adam and Eve. And the Bible tells us that not only are we sinners by birth, but we are sinners by choice. Remember these verses. For all have, and the idea is actively sin, chosen to sin. All have sinned and come short of the glory of the standard of God. We read a little bit further. There is none that does righteousness all the time. Totally. Okay, no, not one. And so the Bible tells us that as we continue in that same text, they are all gone out of the way. Okay, it's just not Adam and Eve that disobeyed. We all go out of the way that God has designed. There is none that doeth only good, no, not one. And so it's very clear that there's a problem that's here. Now in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, look at your Bible. It says, and if you want to see and remark some words, and you may have some footnotes there that I want to see if you have. Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Be not deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, adulterers, effeminate, abusers of themselves with mankind, thieves, covetous, drunkards, revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. I'm sitting down with your friend. You're sitting down with them, my friend, your friend, and we're showing them this verse. Now, I want them to help interpret the Bible. I want them to help explain. I don't want to just sit there and spoon-feed them everything. I want them to be mentally engaged as we go through these verses. And so one of the questions I'm going to ask them as they look at this verse is, you know, and encourage them, it's okay to, to you know, get my answer. It might, you might have a little bit different idea, but that's okay. We're going to end up in the same spot. I'm going to ask them this question. According to this verse, what is the consequence for sin? According to this verse. Okay, what, what, how, what phrase are you going to look at? Shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Okay, are we all in that one? Okay, I'm going to ask this question if I'm talking with them. How definite is this consequence? In fact, look at the verse. How definite is it? Okay, shall not inherit the kingdom. Okay, and then at the ending... It's all these people, none of them shall inherit the kingdom. In other words, he says it two times. Two times. Is that becoming emphatic when it's being repeated? Okay, so how definite is Now, I'm going to be talking to that person. And I'm going to be saying, what type of sins would keep one from heaven? This has a litany of sins. Okay, this has some, and so I'm going to say to them, okay, let's, let's define these sins. And by the way, I think some of the problem for some of us at times is we can't even define some of these terms. Okay, so let's, let's make sure we understand what these are. Okay, um, so we're saying, okay, what's a fornicator? The, the word that's used here is any type of sexual, sexual sin. It's a very broad, it's a you know, pornea idea. It's, it, it could be, it could be, pornography. It could be adultery. It could be premarital sex. It could be whatever. Okay. Um, and we could, we could be graphic and gross. It could be bestiality. It could be any, anything, any type of, any type. Okay. Of sexual immorality. Um, and by the way, these are the words of God and God's pretty blunt and he's talking about people and people relationships. And he says, okay, uh, neither fornicators nor idolaters. Do we all understand what an idolater is? I didn't even put it up there. I figured you guys know what an idolater is. Somebody who puts something ahead of God. Okay, okay. And that could be what? That could be anything like money, money sports, 
Yeah, okay, and so now I'm talking to the individual, and it's like, you know, putting anything in front of God. You know, instead of worshiping God, you're worshiping things, or you're more caught up with things, and most people are going to go, oops, uh. okay. And then he goes on, he says, nor adulterers, nor effeminate. Okay, we know what an adulterer is, somebody who violates the marital vows. Nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind. What is that? Okay, now both of them are the same term, are very identical terms in this passage. The, the effeminate is soft and not manly-like. Okay, they both refer to some type of homosexual activity rejecting the gender that God gave. This is, this is kind of a powerful statement in 2019, okay? Because what does that say about what's happening in 2019? Okay, yeah, that transgender um, stuff. Okay, uh, you know, all that stuff, this is, this is pretty pointed, okay? And then he goes on, he says, okay, uh, nor, well, let's continue. Thieves are covetous. What's a thief? Okay, what's covetous? Okay, okay, you got that. Okay, yeah, that, those are simple. Those are easy. Drunkards? Yeah, somebody, it's, it, it's, it's, yeah, just drinking too much. Somebody that's gotten drunk. Um, what's a reviler? This is the one that's going to stump most of us. What's a reviler? The word literally, the word that's used here in the original language, the reviler, is this. Those who destroy with their tongue. It's a very broad term. Those who destroy with their tongue. You said... Mocking truth, that would fit this. What else would fit this? Slander would fit this. Gossip would fit this. Verbal abuse. Okay, there's a, there's a destroying with the tongue. Okay, now it's getting more pointed to probably the person we're talking to. By the way, it's getting more pointed to us. Okay, um, what's an extortioner? What's that? Theft by deception? Good, good. It's swindlers stealing indirectly through false advertisement, con men selling defective. It's theft by, that's a good way of putting it, theft by deception is the idea. Okay, so he's listed those things out, and he's told us very specifically those individuals will not inherit the kingdom. We go to Revelation 21. Okay, there shall in no wise enter into it anything that defiles. Do, do you remember the context of this verse? He's talking about something. What's the it in this verse? Nobody shall enter it. It's the, it's the heavenly city. Okay, so we're talking the heavenly makeup here. Uh, nobody shall enter into it. Anything that defiles, neither whatsoever works abomination or makes a lie. And so you look at, okay, there's consequences. You can't get into heaven. And it's absolutely for sure what types of sins, okay, anything that defiles, anything that corrupts God's word, anything that makes abomination. Abomination is to go against, basically, or you're speaking against or going against. Um, to make a lie, that's to do what? Yeah, just tell a lie, okay, to tell a lie. But they that are written in the Lamb's Book of Life. So we get a little bit further. In James chapter 17, now your book, you have some of this, is men think that we are basically good. Okay? And this, yet the scriptures teaches that all of us have a problem. How bad is our heart? Is our inner nature? This verse says, okay, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? 
What's he mean by this? We're all innately evil, right? Right? And we're, we're, we're deceitful inside. What, what do we tell ourselves that is not, not line up with God? What, what do we tell ourselves basically? What? We're pretty good. We're better than others. Okay, and by the way, can we probably find somebody that we're better than? Yeah, yeah, most of us can do that. Well, some of us can't, but most of us can find somebody. Okay, well, at least we're better than Hitler. Okay, we can come up with that one, but we deceive ourselves. Okay, and quite frankly, we have problems. Our hearts are fully wicked. Men even lie to themselves about God. We lie to ourselves about our own. How do people lie about their sin? To ourselves. How do we lie about it? That's just the way I am. I lose my temper. I, I, I'm, you know, violent and I yell. But I'm, I'm a redhead. You know, or I'm Irish. Or I'm, you know, I was going to say a woman. I won't know. <laughs> you know, you know, I was going to point and say, and I knew that, that, that that's desperately stupid. <laughs> okay. 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 What's that? Yeah, 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 yeah. The transgender falls right into this kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So we, we lie and, and go, and after a while we don't recognize the truth. Are there churches gathering this morning that don't recognize truth? Yeah, and they're telling, they're, they're telling one another, God will let blank into heaven. Nobody is that. Yeah, and we're all... Yeah, yeah, and so we lie to ourselves about it. We cover it up, and we, you know, we do that. And the Bible's very clear, and you take them, keep on going. This is what God says. This is what God says. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every, gone astray from what? God. God, that's a good answer. Got away from God and what he wants. How many people have this problem? Okay. Um, Rich isn't here, Joyce. Okay. So I'm going to ask you, does Rich have this problem? Did he go astray from God? Yeah, at times. Okay, we got it. They're, they're in agreement that each other is a sinner. Okay? And are they right? Absolutely. Each one of us, what is our, in, what is our innate desire? To follow... Okay. Whose way do we want to follow? Okay. One of our parents was telling me that they're trying to do this method of correction with their child. They have laid moral code down very well with their child, biblical code, and they've laid it down. So this week they started a whole new venture in trying to get their youngster to confess and understand. And so in the process of that, they said, I want you, now that you disobeyed us, I want you to repeat these words after me. I am sorry for wanting to do what I want to do more than what you wanted me to do. Please forgive me. I've been wanting to do what I wanted to do more than what you wanted me to do. And then they said, and add in there, and what God wants me to do. Because God wants the child to obey parents. The child couldn't say it. The child was so broken and said, I can't say it. I can't say it because that shows me how bad I am. The parents have done well. They've done the right thing, right? To get the child to come to a point that they recognize their sin has broken them. To realize that that's what sin is. 
doing our thing more than what I'm supposed to be doing. That's true of every one of us, right? We go our own way. And so it keeps on going. That's all the bad news. Okay, we got lots of bad news. And so we stop and say, okay, according to this verse, how bad is your sin? You're talking to somebody. You're sharing the gospel. Look at this verse and say, okay, how serious is the sin that you and I have committed? What does it do? It separates us between God. Okay? In so much so that we're all guilty, and because of our sin that we've chosen, God, God, yeah. And then when we run and say, okay, I'm going to just go ahead and pray to God about everything, he doesn't hear. This is a powerful verse talking with somebody about the consequence of sin. And then you take them to, some of you would use the Romans road, the wages of sin. And if you're going to use the Romans road and you're going to show this verse, you've got to answer this question for them. What's a wage? What's a wage? Yeah, something we've earned. Something we deserve. And you, this is an easy one. I, if I'm talking to a Chris, I'm going to say, hey, Chris, do you go to work? And this, this is the way I typically do it. Do you go to work? Yes. Yes. Okay. And you, you, um, when you go to work, you do it for nothing. Right? You just do it out of gratis. And Chris is giving me this eye like, are you nuts? You can go ahead and say it. Okay. Okay. Uh, what do they, uh, not the amount, but what do they give you for the work you, for going to work and putting in the time and doing the work? What they agreed on, okay? And what do you call that? Salary, income, a wage, okay? If you don't go to work, what happens to the wage? Forget vacation. Forget all those benefits. If you don't work, you don't... Let's let's forget government programs, too. (laughs) Okay, okay. If you... Okay, you don't work, you don't get. If you work, this is what we agreed upon, that this is my wage, this is what I'm earning, this is what I deserve. And so very, very clearly everybody seems to get this one. The wage is something we deserve. Okay, according to this verse, Chris, according to this verse, uh, what have you done? Other verses we've showed you. There's a word in here that tells us that you are really done a lot of, you're a sinful person. Okay. What do you get for sinning? What, what is the wage? What do you deserve according to this verse? Death. Okay, death. Okay. Now we have to define another term. What term do we have to define here? You've got to define death. Okay, you've got to define it because that whole idea okay, of, of death, I think, yeah, here we go. There is a physical death. Okay, and by the way, another term for death when you're talking about this in, in a Bible study that people will understand is use the word, somebody here, over here just said it, separation. Death is merely just separation, right? Physical death, what separates? Uh, physical death. Soul from the body. That's physical death, right? There's a separation. Okay, there's a spiritual death. It happened to Adam and Eve. Remember, Adam and Eve did not drop dead in the garden. Is that a gimme? Because if they drop dead in the garden, we're not here. Okay. So they lived beyond... Okay. They suffered which one of these deaths? Spiritual death was immediate. Physical death came in time. Spiritual death is separation from... 
Okay, okay, now you're defining this for the person. You're helping to understand, okay? And we're all physically dying, okay? And eventually it's going to come where our body and soul separate. Spiritual death is something we have from birth, okay? Because we're born this way. We're separated from God. There is a third death given in Scripture. Yeah, yeah. It's called the second death or the eternal death, okay? What is eternal death that everybody will experience who's not born again, they're going to experience. What's eternal death? It's separation forever from, from God. Okay, very simple. You got that. Okay, and in no wise, he says, okay, then can they get in, neither who does all these things. He's talking about entering heaven and these, the sins we already mentioned. The alternative is what? Well, let's look at another verse in that same book. Death and hell were cast in the lake of fire. This is the second death. Whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Uh-oh. If you're not allowed into heaven, then where do you go? You go to hell. You go to hell. That's the only alternative given in Scripture, okay, according to these texts. There is no mention of what ideas. Purgatory is not mentioned in the Bible. Uh, what did you say? Annihilation is not in Scripture. Coming back, coming, uh, coming back and uh, recycling. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Jokingly recycling, it's what? Reincarnation. Okay, none of that is in the Bible. Okay, so this is all very clear. You're giving this, and based on this verse, okay, and here's a whole listing again. And if you're talking with somebody, you say, okay, let me show you another verse. The fearful, the unbelieving, the abominable, the murderers, the whoremongers, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars. And again, define your terms. Okay. And all liars shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone. This is the second death. This is that eternal death. What does this verse tell you about eternal death? It's final. Okay, good. What else? It's terrible. Why, why is it? Look at the verse. Why do you say it's painful? There you go. Okay, there's a place. There's a place where people will be put, separated from God. It's called the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone. We don't, do, do people want to hear this? No, 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 no. But this is so, what is this eternal hell like? Well, we just talked about we just said it. Its title tells you it's what? You said painful. It's eternal. Okay, pardon me? It's separation from God. It's it, you just, this is, this is what people, the wages of sin is, yeah, so I'm, I'm repeating all this, and I keep on taking the wages of sin, the wages of sin is this, this, this. If God, here's your key question, if God gave to you and me right now what we deserve, now I'm not so sure that even believers believe this anymore. If God gave me what I deserve right now, I would end up in hell, not in heaven. I don't deserve heaven. You don't deserve heaven. If God gave us what we deserve, we would be for how long separated from God? Man, what a, what a sobering thought. You and I deserve to be in hell forever. That's what we deserve. Now, the wages of sin... It talks about that one verse going back. The wages of sin is a gift. 
is a gift of God. What do we know about a gift? Gift are something we typically don't deserve. Okay, here's, and I use this illustration. I'm saying to my kids, um, we're going to do Christmas, and we do Christmas big. So we give gifts. I have never said to my children, you can have this gift if, first of all, you wash my car, you do the snow blowing, you do da 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 If I give them a list of things that they have to do in order to get this gift, it is no longer a gift. And, or if I do this. <laughs> I'm going to use an illustration. Some of you are going to say, oh, I've done that. Um, in my mind, if I say, hey, I'm going to buy you a car. And I've never done this to my kids. but if I'm going to buy you a car. Walk them outside and say, here you are. You're 16 years old. I'm buying you a car. If I did, I'm nuts. But I'm giving you a car. And, and by the way, here you go. Here's the book, the payment. It's going to cost you X amount of dollars from here, from here on out. Okay? But it's a gift from me. Why are you giggling? It's not a gift. It's not a gift. A gift isn't something that that person has to pay for. Okay? And so that's, this is all the bad news. We're going through, we're talking all this. Man and God are separated from sin. Okay? We, we see that. We can chart it. Uh, the bridge, uh, you said that, it uses some of the similar illustrations in that regard. Okay? We need to be saved. We need some help because we're separated from God. The key is how? Where's the help from? Okay, where do we go from here? Okay? And many people will respond with, well, I'm going to do more good works. I'm going to put more effort in. I'm going to become serious about, the, about reading my Bible and going to church. And then we take them to Ephesians. For by grace are you saved through faith, that not of yourselves, it is a... Oh, we're back to that word. Not of works, lest any man should boast. And I'm going to emphasize verse 9 at the beginning. Okay? And I'm sharing not of works. And I'm going to say, hey, Larry... What are some works that people say that they will do to get themselves into heaven? What are some, what are some works people say? Well, I, because I've done this, I should get into heaven. Visit the sick. Go to church. Feed people. Pray. Uh, what about that kind of stuff that's behind the pulpit way up there? Get baptized. Join a church. What did you say? Give money? Are, are those good things? Are those things people are banking on to get them to heaven? Are those things that churches are telling them they need to do to get to heaven? Yeah, yeah. And so the whole idea is they're trying to earn themselves into heaven. And this verse says, not of, and if that person says to me, so I'm talking to Anne, and Anne says to me, well, I was baptized. I'm going to insert, not of, yeah, and I'm going to even be more pointed with her. Not of infant baptism, lest any man should boast. Because if Anne's able to say, well, I was baptized, then who got her into heaven? She did, and she can... I'm better than you. Okay? And so just that simplicity of sharing that. So we got the bad news. Okay? The bad news. And by the way, it's, it's good that we have bad news. <laughs> if we didn't know this... We'd have no hope. And what makes bad news 
bad is you have good news, something just the opposite. And so what you got here is you have the idea, and we've got the good news. That, that's the beauty of this. We have the good news. The good news is very simple. Now, I'm going to pause, and, and before we get into Jesus for a second, I, I want to caution you. You're sharing this with somebody, okay? Is this a truism in our society? Some of this may surprise or unsettle somebody hearing it for the first time. Yeah, okay. So you want to be very, very sensitive, gracious, okay, and talking with them. They may resist you initially because they don't think they're that. Yeah, okay. Um, they, don't, they may not like the idea of an eternal hell. True or false? Many, many churches have scratched hell Okay, and they're told because this is this threatening. Um, they may resist the idea that they're not good enough. Because we in our American culture, we pride ourselves as being compared to the rest of the world. Yeah, we're, we're better than the rest of the world. We're more compassionate. We're more people sensitive. Is there some truth to that? Is our culture more responsive sometimes to the needs of crises. American people give a lot of money to charities. Yes, no? Okay, and so that's true. There's some of that. They may need time to think this through. Um, can I ask a Think through with this. How many of you, the very first time you heard the gospel, you prayed and got saved? How many of you? Deb? Okay, you folk there, how many of us know for sure we heard it several times before it really sank in and got a hold of us? Okay, that doesn't mean we're better or either way. It just means sometimes this is what it takes. So don't be put out that they don't respond. And here, this is me. None of you would do this. But if I'm sitting there, I'm talking to Leon, and I've explained this, and Leon has answered my questions right. And I say, Leon, what are you according to scriptures? And because you're a sinner, where do you deserve to go? And is there anything you can do to get yourself out of hell? And then I say, would you, and I talk more about Christ, would you like to accept Christ now? And he says, no. And I go, what's wrong with you, man? Are you dumb <laughs> it seems what does it seem to you and me it seems so reasonable right but some people need uh, and we have to spot, pause because who's got to do the work here the holy spirit oh man oh man i'm inclined to get the work done quicker than the holy spirit is and i'm sure i'm the only one in this room okay the, uh, the fact is, you and I, when we share this truth, we don't share it with delight. <laughs> I remember discipling somebody who wanted to go calling, and I took them calling with me, and that person was so zealous for the Lord. And I remember sitting while they were sharing the word with one of their relatives, and it was like, oh my word, you sound happy that your relative's going to burn you know, they were like, you're going to go to hell for all the things you did to me. You're going to go to hell. You know, and you're going to really burn. And you're, you're not going to be able to have drinks with all the cousins and all this. And you're going to die for all that you did to me. And I was like, would you calm down? <laughs> yeah. and, uh, and then I have to stop and say, 
did I ever have a zeal without compassion? And just, you know, blow people out of the water? Here, let the Word of God do the job. Okay, let the Word of God do it. And that's why one of the keys is, as you're taking them through the book, and you have this book, you have them keep on looking up the, you look up the verses. And your, your mantra constantly, this is what blank said. God. This isn't what you say, or here's the worst one. This isn't what our church says. This is what God says. Okay, I didn't get as far as I wanted to, so next week I'm going to go fast. I'll speak fast. You've not heard me speak fast. Next week. Next week. Thank you so much for listening. I hope this is a little bit helpful. Thanks so much.